0: Escape Pod 261 October 7th, 2010 Only Springtime When She's Gone by UG Foster Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm your host and editor, Mer Lafferty. I swear, I looked outside one night this week and realized it was dark. We didn't have the daylight savings time changeover, it was just suddenly fall. It shouldn't surprise me. Where I live, the seasons change drastically. A week ago, we had temperatures in the 90s, and then it dropped to the 60s, and I was arguing with the furnace. So, to be ornery, as we are edging into autumn in the Northern Hemisphere, I'll be presenting a story that refers to spring. This week's story is Only Springtime When She's Gone by Yuji Foster. Ms. Foster received the 2009 Nebula Award for Best Novelette and was named the 2009 Author of the Year by Bards and Sages. She's been a finalist for the Hugo, Black Quill, Bram Stoker, and BSFA awards. Her short story collection, Returning My Sister's Face, and Other Far Eastern Tales of Whimsy and Malice, debuted in March 2009 from Norilana Books. It's read to us by Jason Adams, the voice of the Random Signal podcast and the blogger behind Indie Squid Kid. And please stay tuned after the story because we've got some announcements to make that are very exciting. But for now... Don't worry, there's no hostile takeover. It's just story time.
1: Only Springtime When She's Gone by Eugene Foster From 54 stories up, the city of Old Atlanta spread out in a panorama of skyscrapers. Lit by the last burn of the setting sun, it sparkled and shimmered with illusory fire. H.D. stepped closer to the wall of tinted gray windows, lining his executive office. He peered over the rim of the false horizon, his office's Berber carpet and looked down. Too far. Too far down. Two steps back brought him to the sanctuary of his desk, centered as far away from the enclosing bank of windows as, as it was possible to be. His mahogany desk was an oasis, anchored in the sea of beige and brown carpet weave. Shades, he gasped into the voice receiver on his console. At his command, the windows opaque to a comforting matte black. Lights, ambient only. Incandescent bulbs lit the room, giving the warm illusion of torchlight. With the windows blackened and the faux firelight, he could pretend he was safely tucked away underground rather than on the top floor, exposed to the open sky. He stroked his fingertips over the polished wood of his desktop. It was a less distressing symbol of how much he was worth. This real, dead tree, the chaos of the wilderness transformed into order and utility for his pleasure. The comm unit buzzed, announcing Soasis, his assistant. Soasis looked as he always did. His Italian suit creased where suit should crease and lay smooth where suit should be unlined. His bone-white face turned to his employer. Deadpan, it was the same expression he had worn when he'd learned of it, that his wife, pregnant with her unborn child, had died, crushed beneath a faulty gear shaft in the factories. It was the only expression he ever wore. What is it? H.D. said. The last appropriations hurdle capitulated under pressure from our lobbyists. H.D. verified this information with an eye-blink command to his data lenses you came here personally to tell me that? Sir, are you certain you wish to purchase this company? Its portfolio is unlike your usual acquisitions. Accounting reiterates that there will be a zero profit margin once all of the accrued de- debts have been dealt with, even if you sell off. I'm aware of the financial repercussions. It's not only the question of the lack of profitability, but the potential public outcry. I know soas is. Renewal Enterprises had massive civic appeal. It was the only major corporation that recruited management-level employees from the Luddites, the segment of the population too poor to afford developmental implants or neural internet connections for their children. Sir, Miss Stephanie of Renewal Enterprises is here in your reception area. She's requesting an audience with you. Portia. It had been ten years since H.D. had last seen her. Yet her name could still cause his heart to trip and gallop in his chest. Without her mother, she is alone. How unlike her? Show her in. Portia stormed into the office, a force of nature unleashed, while Sawasis executed a tactful withdrawal. Her wheat-brown hair threw off highlights of copper and bronze in the artificial torchlight. How dare you, she demanded. How could you? Once, her very presence had overwhelmed him, but he was no longer young, struck by puppy love, or unworldly. If you mean my acquisition of your mother's company, it was easy. He kept his tone as impassive as the twilight sky outside. Your accounts are in a deplorable state. Portia's eyes glinted. Those fascinating eyes, they were the delicate green of new leaves. Mother and I have worked hard to make renewal what it is. It doesn't have a vested interest in any of the industries Abydos involves itself in. Why are you doing this? It's what my company does. It's just business. It's not just business to us. Not my problem. He turned his back to her wide-eyed fury. The carpet absorbed the sound of her footsteps. He only knew she had crossed the room by her hand on his elbow. Haru, please, won't you let Renewal go, for old time's sake? For old time's sake. He brushed away her hand. Don't call me that. What? Momentary confusion softened the expression on her face. No one calls me Haru anymore. Why not? It's just HD now. How very efficient of you. He met her anger without flinching. I built my company by being efficient. I've got a lot invested in renewal, too much to drop my claim on it. If that's all you came for, I'm going to have to disappoint you. He sensed it when she switched tactics, when she realized that he wasn't going to fold to her will. Ha, H.D., what happened to you? You weren't always this ruthless. You used to be softer, gentler, he sneered. I grew up. I was going to say reasonable. A takeover of your company with the state your market shares are in is not unreasonable. Although Soasis was right, there'd be precious little profit even after he liquidated all of Renewal's assets and had released the employees, but that wasn't why he wanted it. You're going to destroy us, aren't you? Tear us apart and sell us to the highest bidder. That's the plan. There's more to the company than money. You'll eliminate so many people's livelihoods, good people. Without Renewal, some of them won't have any other alternatives. Alternatives to what? Luddite jobs, machine labor? He chose his next words, enunciating each syllable with relish. It's all they're good for, isn't it? Can't have the unteched getting above their station. Portia dropped her gaze. I never said that. But you don't deny it. I was young. HD pulled his lips away from his teeth in more a snarl than a smile. So was I. Silence settled between them, thick and heavy. H.D. waited for her to leave. You're doing this to hurt Mother, aren't you? For what she said, for getting between us. She wouldn't have gotten between us if you hadn't let her. Don't make this about us. People will suffer. We employ whole families of Unteked. What will happen to them if you let them all go? You've said that already. Haru, please. He let her slip go, unrebuked. This confrontation no longer interested him. He contemplated the woman before him. She had been pretty with the clear-eyed promise of beauty before. She had grown into that promise and, impossibly, was lovelier than he remembered. "'Have dinner with me, Portia. I'm tired and hungry. If you insist on playing this scene through, let's at least set it someplace pleasant.' She frowned. "'What? You're asking me out?' "'I'm asking you in. Nothing fancy. Just a meal prepared by Soasis.' "'I'd like to stop at home first. To check in with Mommy?' No, her voice was cold. I'd like to download some earnings reports and a productivity analysis from our private database. I'm sure once you'll see them, you'll change your mind about buying us. I wouldn't get your hopes up, but as you like. I'll have my drive You pick you up in an hour. H.D. watched Portia leave. The way her hair rippled in a heavy mantle down her back, the willowy curve of her waist, the grace of her step, all the nuances he thought he'd forgotten. He waited until he heard the door snick shut behind her, and then waited longer still for the fine tremor in his hands to disappear before blinking the sequence command to put in the communication with Soasis. The translucent likeness of Soasis, incongruous apron above his impeccable suit and ladle in hand, shimmered into focus in his data lenses. HD found this distortion off-putting, one of the side effects of having his neural implant installed as an adult rather than an infant. Yes, sir? Portia will be joining me for dinner. Please have Sharon retrieve her in an hour from her mother's estate. Of course. H.D. put his head in his hands, closed his eyes to the shivering image. So what am I going to do? Sir? I'm still in love with her. I was unaware you had a history with Miss Stephanie. So put aside the ladle. One might think your relationship was the impetus for purchasing renewal enterprises. Of course it is. But seeing her again, remembering everything that happened between us, I don't think I can do it. You could release your majority shares back into the marketplace. No. If I don't finish things between us one way or another, I'll never be free of her. It ended so badly between you? It was her mother, Demetra. I was not a tech lane, so I wasn't good enough for her daughter. Are not the Stephanies progressive on the matter of technological caste? Ironic, isn't it? Renewals PR does a good job vaunting the company's policy, equal opportunity for all, blah, blah, blah. But at its core, it's as blinkered as the rest of us. I was not aware of the dichotomy. Most people aren't, if I may presume. Why did you invite Miss Stephanie for dinner? I don't know, H.D. waved his hand. This isn't your concern. I'll deal with it. He blinked the connection closed before Soasis could reply. His eyes burned, and he was beginning to get a headache another side effect of his less-privileged upbringing. Pulling the storage tray from his desk, HD plucked the data lenses from his eyes and dropped them in. He wondered for the thousandth time what it was like growing up with neural net access around the clock, without the risk of crippling headaches or nausea. He paced the dimensions of his office suite, watching the chronometer count down the seconds and minutes. Gradually, the warning pangs in his head diminished and f- faded to a residual hum. His comm pinged. HD flicked open the talk-talk switch. When the stamina of his wetware flagged, there was always classic hardware, but it was so clunky, so slow. Suasi's high-D image flashed up. Sharon is just now pulling up with Miss Stephanie. Go ahead and seat her in my dining room. I'll be down shortly. His private lift sped him from the top floor to the underground, his living quarters beneath the building, ears popping from the change in altitude. He stepped off the platform and into the dimly lit foyer. The gentle strains of Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony percolated through the concealed speakers at a discreet volume. Portia had changed out of her Spartan business ensemble and donned a soft green evening gown that frothed chiffon at her wrists and decolleté. It brought out the color of her eyes. Poised against the backdrop of his marble and gold dining room, she was the most exquisite thing he had ever seen. "'I hope I haven't kept you waiting,' he said. She shrugged. H.D. pulled out the redwood chair at the head of the table. His fingers lingered over the texture, a pattern of vines and flowers etched into the arms. He loved the irony, living flora carved into dead." I've got the last five years ledgers on renewal in my neural net, and I think as soon as you can see how unprofitable, HD held up his hand. Let's not discuss this while we eat. You can show me what a bad business venture buying renewal is when we're done. She opened her mouth, closed it again in obvious irritation. Equally obvious was her reluctance to do anything that would turn his mood against her. Sawasi's shoes whispered over the Persian rug. Sharkfin soup with an enemy, he announced, setting the first of two ebony bowls carved into the likeness of twined serpents before Portia. "'It smells amazing,' she said. "'Our chef at home doesn't have the knack for constructing seafood. "'We rarely have it.' "'It's not constructed, ma'am. "'We import the meat from specialty breeders.' Portia blanched and dropped the spoon, half-filled with steaming amber liquid back into her bowl. "'It's meat?' "'Yes, ma'am.' "'Oh.' H.D. spooned up a mouthful of soup as the other man made his exit. He rolled the flavor of shark, strong and musty, with a delicate bouquet of seaweed on his tongue. "'You're missing a treat,' he said. I don't know anyone who can flavor shark like Soasis. I'm sure it's delicious, but you know I don't eat flesh. Would you like something else? No, don't bother. Portia removed the spoon from the bowl and set it in the saucer. What's Sowasis to you anyway? You didn't know him when we were in school. H.D. swallowed a mouthful of tangy anemone. He joined me as I was getting Abydos established. I just bought my fourth company and it happened to be the one he was working for. It was a very shoddy establishment. Safety standard subpar, corruption in upper management, totally old school. He worked as an overseer for a pod of machinists. His wife worked in a different pod. There was an accident right before my acquisition that killed Sawasi's wife and the rest of her pod. I don't remember hearing about that. H.D. nodded. He'd paid a lot of money to keep quiet what he'd done to the company men responsible for that disaster. The public had lost its taste for vengeance, but H.D. found it quite savory. He always had. It was a long time ago. Suwassis so, came as, came on as my administrative assistant right after the incident. He's been invaluable. I'm lucky he also happens to be a remarkable chef. Thank you, sir. Noiselessly, Soassis appeared, brandishing a covered plate made of polished gold in each hand. Inset on the gleaming domes were tiny gemstones, periodot and topaz and ruby. Suwassis so, removed the lids with a flourish. Curried ostrich with brandied eel, he announced. You have outdone yourself tonight. It's my pleasure, sir, ma'am. Sowasi's eyes skimmed over Portia's untouched serving. H.D. wielded his knife and fork with enthusiasm. He made it a game, trying to guess what spice Sowasis used in each meal. Curry, of course. And a touch of nutmeg. There was a hint of sweetness. Perhaps cinnamon? No. Too much bite. It had to be ginger. Portia folded her hands on her lap. Are you sure you wouldn't like something else? Quite sure. You're hurting Sowasi's feelings. A look of dismay flitted over her face. H.D. got no joy from teasing her. He swallowed a mouthful of now-tasteless eel. Don't worry about it. He sounded gruff. He hadn't meant to. When Suwassi's returned to clear away the dishes, Portia paused him with a hand on his sleeve. Suwassi's, I'm sorry. I'm sure everything was wonderful. It's just that I don't eat meat. Suwassi's eyed the pale fingers against his dark suit. Not to worry, ma'am. I trust you'll find dessert more to your liking. Portia let her hand fall back. I'm sure. Soassi's returned with two blossoms of crystal, each stemmed a bowl, intricately hand-blown to the shape of a perfect rose. The roses were crimson, the ruby flush emanating not from the colorless crystal, but from the scoops of frosty dessert within. Pomegranate sorbet, Soassi said. Portia picked up her spoon almost before Soassi's had finished setting it down. H.D. watched her eat. The sorbet was cool against his tongue, tart and sweet, a perfect cleanser for the palate, but he couldn't fully enjoy it. He waited until she had finished her serving, chasing the last dribble of melted sorbet with the edge of her spoon. Would you like more? he asked. Or something else? Maybe some bread or fruit? That's not necessary. Your man Swazis, can whip up an amazing sorbet. Suwassi's is amazing in many ways. He also dabbles in nanotech engineering, his old company greatly undervalued him. But then, what can a lunite expect? Portia stood. Had he finally offended her? Haru... Do you ever wonder what it would have been like if things could have been different? She crossed the space between them. When Mother sent me to India, I missed you terribly. H.D. pushed his chair away from the table. You didn't have to go. She knelt at his feet. I was confused and young. I didn't know what I wanted. H.D. forced himself to exhale when he realized he was holding his breath. She took his nerveless fingers in her own, her touch electrifying. He sat rigid, unable to move or speak. Her hand drifted to the zipper at her side. I know what I want now, she said. He remained frozen in petrified disbelief as the gossamer and chiffon material of her dress slid from her shoulders to pool around her knees. He leaned forward and pressed her cool flesh against his trembling body. H.D. wrapped her in his arms, jolted out of his paralysis. Her lips were sweet as pomegranates. Haru, let's get married. H.D. opened his eyes to even gray stone broken in intervals by elegant tapestries. Here, an archaic hunting scene, and there, the still waters of a geometric lake. They were in his private chambers, nestled in the heart of his velvet and satin bed. He wasn't sure when they had moved from the dining room. It had been late. What? Marry me, Haru. It's what we should have done ten years ago. H.D.'s pulse stumbled and careened at her words. What about your mother? I don't care. I love you. HD slid a handful of Porsche's hair through his fingers. Light glittered across the bright strands like sunlight over golden tips of wheat. Okay. When they announced their engagement, Porsche's mother besieged Abydos, Inc. with a squad of peace officers and an entourage of media, demanding her daughter's return. I neither kidnapped nor abducted her. H.D. addressed the network reporters as their digicams recorded their exchange and indicated the radiant woman in his arms. Does she look like she's being held against her will? Portia waved at the cameras, a picture of health and joy. She would never consent to this travesty, Demetra said. Demetra, mother, H.D. smiled at the outrage blazing across the older woman's face. Surely we can be civil to each other. My daughter would never marry someone like you. Someone like me? "'You mean a Luddite?' "'I thought the management of Renewal was open-minded about Luddite equality.' Demetra paled, but her harangue did not falter. "'You've done something to her, seduced her, or coerced her. Else, why won't you let her come home?' "'She is home. "'Abydos is her home now. "'More like her prison. "'Mother, I love HD,' Portia said. "'You're not in your right mind, darling. "'You know I'm only interested in your happiness and welfare.' Confusion flickered like a wintry cloud over Porsche's face. She was so easy to read, his beloved. He was braced for it. She knew she would fold when she leaned in to brush her lips over his cheek. "'My love, I want to stay here with you more than anything. But let's not start a life together like this. Let me go with her. Talk to her.' H.D. gripped her fingers. He should stay silent. Just nod and let her go. "'I lost you once,' he whispered. "'I don't think I could live through it again.' Portia laughed. It sent resonant ripples coursing through him, starting low in his groin and throbbing up through his chest. He would give this woman anything she asked, the world, his soul, and it terrified him. You won't lose me, darling. Tomorrow I'll be back, I promise. Just give me tonight to talk to mother. He kissed her farewell, her lips still sweet for the memory of pomegranates, and watched as she joined her mother in the oversized snow-white ground car. The peace officers escorted them. Ignored, the media people drifted away. He retreated to his study, his sanctuary. Bookshelf niches lined the walls. An ubiquitous comm unit and antique tomes vied for space with ivory statues of delicate ocean shrimp posed over skeletons of pearl and coral. He dialed up several bottles of cognac and opened them all, one by one. The strident ringing would not stop. It intruded upon his dreams where he was a king in the darkness, seated on a throne of bone with Portia at his side. He slapped the talk-talk switch. His head felt like it was several sizes too large, and his eyes refused to focus. What? He mumbled. What is it? Sir, it's Lady Stephanie. Suasi's image crystallized on the flat screen. Fuzzy numbers in the corner told him that it was after 3 a.m. Patcher threw. Garbed in a flowing housecoat, her shining hair in disarray, Demetra's simulacrum juxtaposed over Suasi's immaculate one. Hello, Demetra." What did you do to her? The woman pounced on the offensive. You were always strange around her, even when you were in school. I never trusted you. Is it money you're after? Extortion? H.G. struggled to part the haze in his mind. Something's the matter with Portia? She's calling for you. More bracing than the strident accusations were the tears in the older woman's eyes. She's dying. Demetrius severed the connection. Her parting words were as jolting as ice water sluiced over his body. Sowasis Sowasis, Sir, have Sharon start up the bicraft. H.D. sprinted to the express lift, not waiting for confirmation. Sowasis was already there, holding the door for him, as he arrived on the landing pad. Sharon launched to the night sky as soon as they meshed in. Traffic was light at that hour, but even though Sharon broke several speed restrictions and cut through on-off-limits fly zone in order to shear minutes off, H.D. clutched his armrest, trembling with impatience. When the Stephanie estate came into view, H.D. ripped away the safety mesh and unlatched the door almost before the landing routine had fully engaged. A phalanx of Stephanie's security guards stood ready, but he didn't need them to show them the way. Portia's suite was nearly unchanged from the way he remembered it. It was always springtime in Portia's room. A miniature rowan tree shading her bed was a little larger, a little fuller, but the cherry blossom holoprints were the same, shimmering their pale pink and white blooms on her walls. Every time he saw them, he could almost smell the elusive perfume of tiny budding flowers a suggestion of sweetness hovering at the fringes of his perception. Demetra stood in the corner, pale and rigid. Save her, she said. I'll pay whatever you want. Medics and technicians swarmed about, busy with patches and needles around the bed. Their white uniforms and masks were incongruous and stark against the genetically crafted grapevines that twisted around the frame. Portia screamed, a terrified, frenzied cry. Her body thrashed on the mattress, bent backwards in a violent convulsion. H.D. rushed to her, knocking aside the medics in his path. "'Darling, I'm here!' He took her up in his arms, ignoring the cluster of tubes running through and around her. Her eyes wide, she clutched him to her, dragged him in for a kiss. Surprised, he tasted the sweetness on her tongue, bitter with an undercurrent of fear. She released him and fell back, her breath rasping out. He pushed a lock of her wheat-fire hair away, now damp and plastered to her face, and set her down on the bed as though she were made of spun sugar. She was so pale.' Her pulse fluttered like the wings of a butterfly against his fingers. The medics took charge of her, logging her vitals, slapping gel patches on tube-free expanses of skin. Demetra was there, her long fingers clutched at his arm, red nails digging into his flesh. What did you do? Nothing, I... Don't lie to me. They pumped her up with tranks and narcos and they couldn't help her. All you do is touch her and she comes out of it? How long was she like that? I don't know. Probably about an hour, sir. "'Sawasi said. "'HD and Dimitra both swiveled to him. "'Sawasi stood in the back of the room, "'sheltered by vines of night-blooming honeysuckle. "'His eyes, those paler than pale blue eyes "'that never registered anything, "'hurt, fear, joy, "'they glowed as though a fire lit him from within. "'Another hour and she would have died, "'like my wife died, in agony and terror.' "'He laughed. "'The sound shivered HD through. "'It was icy, frigid, and insane. "'Sawasi's pointed at Dimitra and she recoiled as though he named aimed to shoot her. You techlings, so high above us. You think our lives are nothing, disposable. He spat on the wilderness green carpet. H.D. stared at this man as though he'd never seen him before. What did you do? I made a virus. A perfect, beautiful virus. My wedding gift to you. It's a seamless parasite for her neural implant. Ironic, isn't it? That thing which they hold above us, their privileged tech, was the vehicle. What are you talking about? She ingested it. I programmed it to cross the blood-brain barrier, engineered it for her and you. Except she didn't eat. He cackled. That worried me. Until the sorbet. HD crossed the room in two strides and plowed his fist into the other man's face. Soasis pitched from his feet and staggered into a cherry blossom wall. The holoprint rippled. What did you do to her? He wrapped his hands around Soasis' jacket lapels. Soasis grinned. I did it for you. You still love her, you said. And what is love? It's just a flare in the brain. "'I created the spark. I planted it in her wetware. I made her love you.'" HD dropped Soasis and watched the other man sag to the floor. "'Every time she touches you,' Soasis continued, "'every time she's near you, the virus triggers that area in her brain which is passion, devotion, adoration. "'She will never leave you now.'" He giggled. "'She can't. Or she'll die.'" "'I was waiting, sir, waiting to use the virus on a techling for myself. "'But this is so much better.'" None of them could replace my wife. Let me be the first to congratulate you. A needle of lightning flashed through Sawasi's chest. It smashed his way through his body, leaving behind a blackened char over his heart. The stench of sizzling meat replaced the hint of cherry blossom bouquet. Demetra stood with a shooter still humming in her hands. A myriad of emotions—hate, despair, fury—flew across the woman's face. The weapon jolted to cover H.D. Demetra. H.D. kept his tone even and careful. If you kill me— Portia may die. Demetra's death-claw grip on the shooter faltered. I know. She lowered it and it thudded to the carpet, heavy black metal against the grassy pile. I swear, I'll set all my r and to find a cure, H.D. said. I didn't want this. Demetra's voice was blank, monotone. Even if I have to pull all of Renewal's resources, I'll find a way to free her from you. I'll find a way. H.D. stood in his penthouse office at the top of the fifty-four-story skyscraper, with the windows clear and open to the sky. Beneath him, the rooftops and spires of old Atlanta spread like a gray tapestry, the chill of a long winter heavy on the cityscape. He'd held Portia in his arms last night, as he'd done every night since the wedding. In the dim light of his bedchamber, he looked into her eyes. Beneath the adoration Soasis had promised him, beneath the veneer of passion and love, he'd seen it. he had seen the helpless hatred there. On his monitor were the results of Demetra's search for her daughter's cure. Her scientists and researchers had found a way to alleviate the symptoms temporarily. She'd have six months. Six months that Portia might be able to remain away from him. After that, the pains would return unless she came back, the deep ache that sliced through her, followed by convulsions, respiratory distress, and finally death. But for now, she could go to her mother. H.D. had built a garden for her after the wedding, planted it with flowering vines and lush trees. In the middle, a graceful cherry tree arched, This morning, droplets of red had sprung from it, first buds like flecks of blood. Portia wouldn't see them. Spring would never be his season.
0: So that was our story. I love a good vengeance story, and I love a retelling of myths in the modern times. If you enjoy the Hades-Persephone myth... You may like the music by Anais Mitchell in an album called Hades Town. No, this is not a sponsorship. This is an actual endorsement because I love this music. I love the story it tells. And um, it's just some fantastic songwriting and storytelling. But I think that true vengeance engulfs you and becomes everything in your life. So before you decide to take on the path of vengeance, you may want to decide if it's something you want to dedicate yourself to wholly. But you know, don't do it against me. I'm nice, and I'm sorry for whatever I did to piss you off, including, but not limited to, that president you don't like, your car breaking down, and your parakeet's death when you were seven. I have some exciting escape pod news we are becoming a more fully fleshed out blog and if you'd like to contribute to us we're looking for news reviews and commentary be sure to email me if you want to talk more we're going to be running the text of stories on our sites for those of you who don't want to listen to the audio or can't listen for whatever reason and we're raising our rates as of the stories I accepted this October first we're paying three cents a word for reprints and five cents a word for new stories You can check out the site for more details. We've been wanting to take a Pod Pro for a while, but we're going to need donations to back us up. This is just a six-month trial period. If we can't have the donations to back up this change in rate, then we're going to have to go back to $100 a story. And I don't want to do that because these authors deserve whatever we can give them. So if you haven't donated in a while, maybe you should consider it. And if you can't donate, then blog about us or tell somebody. The stories are free, they will always be free, the blog's getting bigger, we're going to be offering you more text. Hopefully it's something that you can find it in your heart to support. So, let's talk about feedback. Here comes Bill Peters.
2: Soon you'll be hearing the feedback for episode 253, Eugene. But first, and quickly, this is a last reminder for people to join and post on the forums for the I Heart Escape Artist story Giveaway. Because you have until October eighth, which is tomorrow, if you're listening the day this comes out, or today, if you're listening the day after it comes out, to post. Remember, even if you've commented elsewhere on the forums, you still need to post in the thread in the Escape Artist Inc. subforum in order to get the stories. And as also as a reminder, story contributors for the giveaway include Rachel Sworsky, Tim Pratt, and Leckie Greg Van Eekut Tina Connolly and many others and now back to the feedback for Eugene by Jacob Sager Weinstein and read by Tim Shoebox Christ of many things but also the funny music project the story was about a man and his police dog I shouldn't say anything, Jacob doesn't like me to pry but he took Eugene to the podcast but he doesn't like me to pry but he took Eugene to the podcast But he doesn't like me to pry But, and here's feedback Chris Platt said Insert sock This is like insert story here comment Doesn't make a story Better or worse for it I will say, however, that I've listened to a good number Of the tragic tales on Escape Pod None of them encouraged me to register On this forum to leave a comment But then, none of them moved me to tears The way this story did eugene's simple desire to stay with and comfort the girl until everything was all better really got to me i've seen other dogs do the same thing including the one i had for 16 years log said a cracking story and on the plus side since the two main characters weren't both fully human the horrible term "romance" isn't strictly applicable to which i'm blinking replied oh i hate that word if I had a time machine, the first thing I would do is to go find whoever coined that and separate their parents before they were born. Just because you can make up a new word by forcing an unnatural copulation between two other words doesn't mean you should. And that's it for this week. Tune in next week for the feedback episode 254, A Talent for Vanessa.
0: And thank you, Bill, for fielding all of that. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and distributed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. If you don't understand what that means, then check out creativecommons.org. It will explain it to you. All other rights are reserved by our authors. Blog about us. Talk about us. Donate to us. Tweet about us. Spread the word of Escape Pod being awesome. We depend on you. We depend on your donations. We depend on your word of mouth. We're nothing without you. Anyway, our PayPal button is at escapepod.org. And be sure to check out our sister podcasts, Pseudopod for Horror and Podcastle for Fantasy. Escape Pod is edited by Murr Lafferty, with Bill Peters as the assistant to the regional manager, or the ARM, without whom I would be nothing. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our quote is from Diogenes Laertes. The descent to Hades is the same from every place. We'll see you next week with a longer piece that concerns a new planet, a computer, and the concept of God. But until then, be mighty.